Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the New York Historical Society. I'm Dale Gregory, Vice President for Public Programs, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to our spectacular Robert H. Smith Auditorium. I'm sure you've noticed the trains uh, as you came in and the Batmobile. They're part of two wonderful new exhibitions we have, Holiday Express, Toys and Trains from the Journey Collection, and also Superheroes in Gotham. So please come back if you haven't seen them already. We have some wonderful new, wonderful new exhibition opening on computers. Pick up a brochure if you don't have it yet. And I always like to ask how many members do we have with us today in the audience? Almost everyone. And so we, we thank you all for being our members. You help support all the programs. And for those of you who are not yet, we invite you to join the family. Um, also, for those of you who, can, you, can everyone hear me? OK. Um, so anyway, that, that's my message. Please become a member if you're not already. We love seeing all those hands raised up when we ask. Tonight's program, Lady Bird and Lyndon, The Hidden Story of a Marriage That Made a President, is part of the Bernard and Irene Schwartz Distinguished Speaker Series, which is the heart of our public programs. And as always, I'd like to thank Mr. Schwartz for all his support, which has enabled us to invite so many prominent authors and historians to New York Historical. I'd also like to recognize and thank trustees with us tonight, Susan Danilo, Lon Jacobs, Glenn Louie, and all the Chairman's Council members with us tonight for all their great work and support. Let's give them all a big hand. The program tonight will last an hour and include a question and answer session, and we invite audience members to approach two standing mics in the aisles. And we do that so that everyone in the audience can hear you, the speakers on the stage, and we do record these for podcasts that would get posted on our web so for the rest of the world to hear you as well. There'll be a formal book signing following the program, and copies of our speakers' books are available in our museum store, which is on the 77th Street side of our building. Our speakers will be signing on the Central Park West side, so please stay for that as well. We're thrilled to welcome Betty Boyd Caroli to the New York Historical Society. She is the author of Lady Bird and Linden, in addition to First Ladies Martha Washington to Michelle Obama and the Roosevelt Women. Ms. Caroli has been a guest on numerous television programs, including Today, The O'Reilly Factor, and Lara News Hour. In fact, she told me she's going to be on Hardball with Chris Matthews. How could I forget that? Okay. She has held fellowships and grants from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt Institute, and the Hoover Presidential Library. We are also delighted to welcome our moderator, Kati Martin. Ms. Martin is an award-winning journalist and human rights activist. She's also the best-selling author of Hidden Power, Presidential Marriage, Marriages That Shaped Our History, and An American Woman. From 2003 to 2008, she chaired the International Women's Health Coalition, a global leader in promoting and protecting health and human rights of women and girls. Her most recent book, Paris, A Love Story, became an immediate New York Times bestseller. So before we begin, I'd just like to ask everyone if you have a cell phone to please turn it off, an electronic beeper. 
and we ask that there's no flash photography. And now, please join me in welcoming our guests. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't it wonderful that there are so many people who are interested in uh, presidential history on the Upper West Side? It's great. And, and, and specifically in the Johnsons, Lady Bird and Lyndon. Um, Betty, of course, uh, owns this field, as, as Dale has already told you. She's, she's written definitive accounts of the Roosevelt women and, um, and uh, first ladies from, from Martha to Michelle. But none of them can uh, match uh, the drama and the poignancy of this marriage between this devouring personality, Lyndon Baines Johnson, and, um, and this seemingly petite and uh, rather demure lady from uh, the backwoods of Texas, Karnak, Texas, without whom the Johnson presidency is inconceivable. Do you agree with me? I agree with that. Anybody who looks at the record of Lady Bird Johnson, who's often portrayed as this sort of shy, uh, shadowy figure, if you look at what she really was, she really was the power that made that yes. career, I think. I'm convinced. Many other people have said it. I think you said it, didn't you? That uh, she, without her, he never yes. would have been president. And I concluded the same thing. Yes. Oh, good. So we're on the we're same, same page same there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll find things that we don't agree on because that will make for a more interesting conversation. But you know, Betty, um, in um, in researching my book on the uh, American presidency, which I think both of us um, define in a similar fashion as consisting of two people, the president and the first lady, given given how the presidency is structured and how, how it has a kind of a, uh, a Versailles-like uh, uh, feel in the White House, the two of them, even if they weren't close before, they have to get close. But in this case, um, let's, let's talk about that, because you use the word hidden in, in your subtitle, the hidden story, and I call mine hidden, because really, until recently, we didn't define the presidency that way, because they didn't want us to know to what, the presidents didn't want us to know to what extent they depended on their partners. Lyndon Johnson, oh my God. I mean, he didn't, didn't he but identify think, her as, you, as future? You do, you do think about the ways that which, in which he pulled her into the presidency. Remember when it came time for the inauguration in 1965, he was the one who decided that she would hold the Bible. The Bible had always been held by a legislative assistant. And in fact, there was one prepared to do the job that day. And if you look at photos of that inauguration, you'll see that this guy is standing there with nothing to do while Lady Bird is holding the Bible. And she says in her unpublished diary that it was Lyndon who had that idea. So in many ways, we see this towering figure of Lyndon Johnson. And he really did give her credit in ways that we just didn't pick up. But at the same time, he was. I, I, I interviewed Clark Clifford, one of his closest aides, who said that Johnson was jealous of his wife, which is so bizarre, except because she did everything for him and, and held him together. And yet, so explain why he would have been jealous of Lady Well, he had many reasons to be jealous of his wife. Uh, one of the reasons that I got into studying First Ladies in the beginning 
was that I noticed that most, of, most presidents married up. That is, they married from families, they married into families superior to their own, economically, education, socially, and so forth. And Lyndon Johnson is a perfect example mm. of that. And he was always teasing Lady Bird about, well, you have two degrees. Not only did she have two degrees, and remember, she's the first first lady to have two degrees. From the University and, of Texas, Austin, a and, good school. And the only one to have two degrees until Hillary Clinton. Now right. we expect them to. So here she was, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> So here she was with her two degrees from a college far superior to his. And she came from a family, you know, she grew up in this 17-room mansion with uh, six fireplaces. And those of you who visited his birthplace, it's, it's a little cabin, really, with four low-ceilinged rooms. So he was very aware that she came from a privileged background. And he was always saying, well, with your two degrees from the University of Texas, you can do this. And then when she did it very well, he was just a little jealous that uh, he but, hadn't done but it. But I mean, I think it was a, I, I hope you agree, it, uh, I, it was a genuine love match. I think so. However, yes. his calculation, he was among those presidents who had his sights set on the White House from the get-go, and she was was a perfect uh, companion to get him there I for, think for a bunch of reasons. For a bunch of reasons, and that comes out in the courtship letters. I mean, when you wrote about the Johnson presidency, the courtship letters, certainly his letters, mm. were not available. And while I was working on this book, those letters, about 80 of them, became available. Remember, they met in Austin on September 5, 1934, and he, they spent five days together, and then he had to go back to his job in Washington. And she stayed in Karnak, Texas, with her father. And over the next eight weeks or so, they wrote, sometimes more than once a day. And those letters spell out in such detail. I mean, I decided a Hollywood scriptwriter could not have done it better. I even had a nightmare that somebody had concocted those letters just to mislead me because they fit oh so God. perfectly my theory of why he married her. He says, uh, I need somebody like you. I admire your principles, your ideals. And then he, he was often getting depressed and go to bed yes. for days and so forth. And then he'd say, I wish you were here to nurse me and yeah. help me to climb. And then she'd write back, now, Lyndon, you stop that right now. You know, She was the only one who could, who could shake him from, he was such a self pitying man but the but the depression i think he was un, undiagnosed bipolar i mean his well, mood swings were were dramatic the mood swings were dramatic and ladybird certainly uh, recognized those in her unpublished diary uh, more than her published diary mm. really she talks about oh linden's really down in the dumps today mm. and then mm. two days later oh He's, he's brighter today, and then, oh, it's, it's doom and gloom again. And then, oh, today I don't know what sprung him. So she was very aware of those moods, but I don't think she ever diagnosed it, ever gave it a term manic, well, depressive, or no, bipolar. No, but, but, but that his, was... his staff did. Mm -hmm. Many of them said, oh, you know. Yeah. If only the American people had known that during one of the most crucial and, 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 and delicate chapters in American history, namely the, the civil rights movement and the, and the war in Vietnam, the catastrophic war in Vietnam, the, the American presidency was in the hands of a bipolar president. I mean, that, no way that he would get away 
with that. But the other big thing that he wouldn't get away with today was his Olympic champion philandering. Oh my God. <laughs> and you really nail that. And for no other reason, buy Betty's book too. She really catalogs the, uh, the sweep, the re reach and range of, of Lyndon Johnson's uh, sexual appetite and how she put up with that. So the question I have for you, Betty, is was she enabler or victim of this man's rapacious sexual appetite? Well, she never used the word enabler, and I don't think she thought of herself as an enabler at all. She saw them as a team. You know, she was always saying, um, we're much better together than we are separate. And remember, she had uh, grown up with a father who was an, a, a famous womanizer in that county, and she Mr. knew Boss. it. Mr. Boss. <laughs> Mr. Boss. He even had his kids call him Mr. Boss. <laughs> and the reason I'm, I'm convinced, her mother died, Lady Bird's mother died when she was five, her father remarried, but he, through two marriages, well really three, he was known as a big womanizer in that county. And Lady Bird knew that. In her uh, diary, she talks about, my father was a man who had women who were not part of the domestic scene. That's so delicate. So, I mean, how much clearer yeah. can you get? So that's one thing. And the second thing, I think, is remember her uh, father, she idolized her father. Now, her father had a horrendous reputation in that county. I mean, the things people told me about him were incredible. But she idolized him. She thought he was just the example of what a man should be. And people said you could not understand what drew Lady Bird to Linden and also had her put up with what he did unless you knew how she felt about her father. Because the men were very much alike, both six feet three, both very commanding uh, people. I mean, the personalities, I don't think they ever got very close, but they were so similar. So she finds a man who's much like her father, and then right off the bat, he makes it clear that there will be other women. In one of the courtship letters, I think he leaves her, as I said, September 10, and about September 15, he's talking, he's writing from Washington, about being out with Helen, the little radio writer. And they had dinner, and then they went dancing until two, and that goes on for several letters. So I'm looking at Lady Bird's response to him, thinking, what's she going to say about this? She doesn't say a word. But later, in an interview, she says, I knew that relationship was not platonic, but that little radio writer was the daughter of a New York judge, very sophisticated woman, and I thought she would sharpen Lyndon up a little bit. Amazing. You know, it's, it, it's a little bit like uh, Jackie Kennedy, whose father was also exactly. a, a, a womanizer. So therefore, she more or less expected that, that well, that's just the way men are, and, and that's not the, uh, I think the expression that, that Lady Bird used when, when told about FDR's uh, mistress, Lucy Mercer, and how Eleanor never got over that once she made the discovery of the letters between, the love letters between Lucy and, and Franklin. Um, the, uh, Lady Bird said, you know, what a pity when Lucy was just a fly on the wedding cake. She so she, you know, she, she had kind of psyched herself into that place where, where she didn't let it become the defining issue between them. I mean, how many, how many people can do that? Amazing. And also, remember, Lady Bird would put up with anybody if she thought Lyndon needed them. Yes. 
I mean, employees, uh, people talked about going to her for help and getting somebody fired, whom they knew Lady Bird didn't like. And she thought about it and she said, you know, Linda needs that person. Yes, and, and I think she saw that in the women, you know, again and again, particularly in the unpublished diary. She talks about, uh, oh, she even says, uh, Lyndon likes the most beautiful woman beside him. Tonight it is, and then she named the person, which yes. I won't name now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so all. it was that feeling that Lyndon needed uh, the, the, the ego trip yes. that this attention of many beautiful women gave him. I think that was part of it. And then one of the things we haven't talked about is Lady Bird's great power of just shutting out what she didn't want yes. to see. Taking psychic leave. Psychic leave. Yes. She, could, she could just and check out. Everybody what talked about it. One doctor talks in his oral history about uh, making a special appointment with Lady Bird Johnson to tell her that the doctor thought that Lyndon really needed extra attention from her because he was under great stress with the uh, worries about Vietnam and so forth. And he made this appointment. They're riding in a car talking. And he said, suddenly, she wasn't there. And he called her on it. He said, where are you? And she apologized, he said, and came back. But she literally could remove herself in a way that few people can, I think. Wasn't that the key to surviving Maybe Lyndon so. Johnson? That was certainly part yeah. of it. So you yeah. put it all together, and I think we have a reason why she put up with the womanizing. So um, let's let's talk about some. You know, there's so much history in the in the um, Johnson years to cover, but uh, to me, one of the more interesting and telling ones is the Walter Jenkins affair. I don't know how many of you remember Walter Jenkins was was uh, one of one of their key people, one of Johnson's. He was closest. their top aide. I would say the one. You know, he did their private. Yes, book. I mean, he knew inside, inside the family, and he was picked up on a morals charge a couple of blocks from the White House in the men's room of the uh, YMCA. Which in so we're we're talking early '60s now. No, and, but important that it was yes. only four weeks before the 1964 election, and yes, and so well, suddenly the word gets out that he had been arrested, and of course. Um, the Johnsons didn't know what to do about it because a story like that on a moral, what was then called a morals charge, meant that Walter Jenkins, being privy to every secret in the Johnson White House, was open to blackmail. And so Lyndon Johnson was in New York uh, campaigning for Bobby Kennedy, if you can believe that. <laughs> yes, I know. And, and Lady Bird was in Washington, and there's a phone conversation that you can hear online now. When you did your book, I think you had I had to, to go to the Johnson Library. But now anybody yeah. can hear this phone conversation online. And Lady Bird calls Lyndon, and she says, we've got to st uh, stay loyal to Walter. He's, he's given his life. He had worked for them since 1939, so you do the math. Yeah. This is 1964. Almost three decades of loyal and, service. And just very long hours. People would talk about he would be on the way to a doctor's office because he, was, he had high blood pressure, he had many uh, health problems, and Lyndon would get word that he wanted him to come back, and he would give up the doctor's appointment and come back. He just, well, everybody said totally he worked different. himself to death. And the family, the whole Jenkins family, was very friendly with the Johnson family. Lucy was particularly friendly with the Johnson the, the Jenkins, Jenkins uh, daughter. So Lady Bird called Lyndon. She said, we've got to show our support. I want to give him the number two job 
in the broadcasting business. And right away, Lyndon says, you can't do that. But excuse me for interrupting. We haven't mentioned that on top of everything else, she was a very successful, Lady Bird was a very successful businesswoman, a, a, a broadcast tycoon. She ran an operation that, that- was huge that she, by 1964. Yes, so she, she did that on the side. She, that was, yeah. she did that on the so, side. Sorry, so go no, on with Walter. No, and Lyndon said, no, we can't do that. It looks like we're, you just stay out of this. And, and for 13 minutes, they argue on the phone. Yeah. And he keeps saying, I have to go. A plane is waiting for oh, me. Oh, he so badly wants to get off that phone call. <laughs> oh, and, and she doesn't and she let won't him let him. And he keeps saying, you stay out of this. She says, I want to issue a statement showing our support for them. And if you don't do this, your entire staff will never forgive you because we need to be loyal to our to staff. Our people. And he yes. keeps saying, no, you can't do that. Why don't you check with uh, Clark Clifford? Clark Clifford, yes. And yes. she said, I already have. Yes, yes. Dave Fortas, check but with But her Dave. tone of voice in all this is so telling because it is like, honey, Oh, beloved, you, you are better than this. We need to, oh, my heart goes out to you, beloved. I mean, but we should also all, very firm. She, oh, she doesn't give up. No, But the way she manipulates yeah. him with that, that Southern uh, honey, <laughs> it's really. And finally, they do get off the phone and she writes up a statement that our hearts go out to Walter Jenkins, and he's been under terrible stress, and I hope the whole nation will pray for him and his family. And then she calls in the editor of the Washington Post and says, will you publish it? And he said, of course. So people who say Lady Bird never stood up to Lyndon, oh. they don't know the story. Well, be yeah, because stylistically, they're she different. was, yes, but also uh, different from us, too. I mean, she was, she was a woman of her generation. She was a woman of the, of the 30s. And she, she, in fact, defined herself as um, Lyndon is, is my lover, my friend, and my identity. And she, she said to, to, her, to her own daughters that, that I, I am not a feminist. That's your generation. But at the same time, she was a feminist. She was, but she didn't like yeah. the term. I mean, think, you talk about her business sense, and to her father, she owes that. You know, her father was a horrible person, but he treated her like a son, really, and exposed her to his business, taught her to do accounts. People said she could do accounts. She could read an account book the way a truck driver reads a map. She was, she was also like him. She was very with money. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. So anyway, she builds this broadcasting business into, uh, and I became convinced, I know there's the rumor circulating that Lyndon really ran that business and she was just the front. It was in her name. It's, you know, you just can't read the records and see that. For example, uh, one of the lawyers said that when it came time to, well, first to begin back in 1943 when she bought it, it was her money. Uh, she wrote every check except for payroll. She went over the weekly reports uh, and, and gave advice on hiring and was very involved in the business. And then when it came time to decide whether to go into television, Lyndon was a little wary. It was very expensive to go into television. You know, the cost, the, the starting costs were very high. Programming was going to be very expensive. And the lawyer who worked with them on this said that and also the head of the, um, uh, the man who headed the broadcasting business for uh, Lady Bird, he thought it was really too big an expense, too big a risk. We're talking 1951, 52, right? 
And in the meeting, uh, Lady Bird said, I want to go into this, and if it takes everything we have, and she wanted to go into BHF instead of UHF, which was the right decision. And Lyndon said, well, it's your money if you want to. So certainly there were times, and certainly his prestige, his, his position on the Senate Commerce Committee, that was very influential. I mean, it couldn't be otherwise, right? But she was... She was the important business. She had the important business sense and the risk-taking. And she used his connections to help that. So, so far we've described a, a paragon of perfection in, in <laughs> Lady Bird. And she was not that. Like all of us, she was human. And, and for me, Betty, the thing that, that struck me in, in uh, uh, her, um, among her, her flaws, her uh, chief flaw, uh, was that she was not a very good mother. And she knew that. Uh, she says in her unpublished diary that uh, Lyndon always, well, she says it many places, Lyndon always came first, the girls second, and me third. The girls said Lyndon came first, her broadcasting business came second, and yeah. the daughters came third. So interesting because... But she, she also yeah. says that not a, she never felt guilty about it. She said, I know people say this. I know I'm not, I don't give my daughters the attention that they would like, but it's not enough to give me a guilt complex. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't... Yes, it's interesting because because in the history of the presidency, the the it, it, it's the president who is the neglectful right. father, and the and the and the um, and the first lady tries to compensate, but but not here. She just there was no there was no pretense here that uh, that Lyndon was her 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 chief business. So let's get them to the White House, where so much history happens. First of all, the circumstances of his ascension to the presidency could not have been less auspicious the assassination in Texas, uh, their home state in Dallas, of, uh, of this wildly popular and admired, handsome young president, everything that Lyndon Johnson was not. And you had a first lady in Jackie Kennedy who could not have been in sharper contrast to uh, this short, rather plain, um, no fashion sense, Lady Bird. So let's talk about the shadow of the Kennedys over the Johnson presidency. Well, it was a very difficult, obviously, a very difficult time to take over the White House. Lady Bird um, always felt that the Kennedys were a different generation. She said, they're more my daughter's generation. So that gave her a certain distance. And she made a point, both of them made a point, of not trying to imitate the Kennedy style. That is in entertaining or in any way. But I think she always had a very strong sense that she was a that she could do things that uh, Jackie Kennedy could not. And remember, she came into the White House better qualified, I think, than any first lady in history. Uh, she had lived in Washington for thirty some years, except for a year, part of each year she had lived in Washington, except for that year that she was back in Texas when he was working there. So she knew the journalists by first name. She knew the congressmen's wives by first name. She was very active in the Congressional Wives Club, never missed a meeting. And the Senate, when he got in the Senate, the Senate Wives Club, they met every Tuesday. She was always there. So she was, she, she was extremely well prepared. And and took over, I think, with a great deal of confidence. For example, names a press secretary like no first lady had ever had. 
Jackie Kennedy had a press secretary who didn't know a thing about the press. It's interesting that that um, as much as uh, the Kennedys um, kind of scorned the the Johnsons, and, and I don't just mean President and Mrs. Kennedy, but the entire Kennedy entourage, the Harvards, as as uh, LBJ referred to them, because he was deeply self-conscious about being a graduate of South South Texas State Teachers College when everybody in Kennedy world was from Harvard. And um, but as much as they kind of scorn these, uh, uh, what did they call them, corn pones from Texas, Jackie had real admiration for for uh, Lady Bird and how she supported her husband in a way that Jackie did not. How she would sit in the corner when 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 Lyndon was was on the phone and 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 write down names and write down phone numbers and you know was ready to uh, give him um, names and numbers. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And 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 so you know Jackie, um, who's who's. Um, uh, diaries and so on I, I've studied, had this kind of um, grudging admiration for this woman who was so different from her, but yet who had her own. And Johnson, of course, after the assassination, um, never stopped trying to lure Jackie back mm. into the White House. And, and yes, Jackie she, wouldn't have it. She wouldn't come. She never came back yeah. during the Johnson years. Yes, yes. yes. And now, of course, um, the greatest uh, shadow over the Johnson White House, what she called, what Lady Bird called the, the miasma, or is it miasma? Miasma. Uh, the shadow of Vietnam. And this is, uh, for me, Betty, when, when, when Lady Bird really comes into her own and keeps this man who is disintegrating uh, under, the, under the weight of the mounting uh, uh, casualties we had half a million American troops in Vietnam. I mean, just think about that. That is an astonishing fact for us, a half a million. And, and the, you know, Johnson was, was not sleeping. He would, he would go down to the, to, the, um, to the situation room at three, four in the morning and was so agitated. And she kept vigil with him and, and basically kept him together, right? Yes. She said that the first two years in the White House were wine and roses, but the rest of it was pure hell. And, and she felt, she said more than once that other problems they could deal with, like the war on poverty, education. She was very interested in Head Start, you know, environmental programs. But she said that whole situation in Southeast Asia, it, it just, it's too big for me. I can't deal with it. She, she used the phrase about swimming upstream. Yes. No, no uh, land in sight. And during that time, there are some examples that I cite in the book where he, he really does fall apart, like the example yes. of, of his outburst over the portrait that Peter Heard did of him. Remember? Yes. He says it's the uh, ugliest, ugliest thing, I, thing. Ever, yeah. I, I ever saw. And then he lashes out at the press in general, yes while she deals calmly with the press, because remember, she has a journalism degree and she has, she's a yeah. very savvy woman, yes. But, and again yeah. and again, she rescues him, I think. Yeah, um, but, and, and of course the nation, as ignorant as the nation was about his philandering, equally so about his mental state. I mean, this is only retro, retrospectively that, that we are aware of, of how close he came to a, a, a 
emotional meltdown over Vietnam because he was determined not to be the first American president to to um, uh, be commander in chief during, uh, over a, a losing war, and and um, where, whereas you know Kennedy was a much more detached um, personality and and I think more secure too. Um, historians like Arthur Schlesinger have subsequently related that Kennedy would never have gotten sucked into to that war the way Johnson did because Johnson had such. Uh, a chip on his shoulder about about not being up to the Kennedy. Of course, uh, we can never know what we, Kennedy would have done. No, no, but it's for lived. sure that yeah. Johnson that but, Johnson listened to McNamara, listened right. to Westmoreland, listened to a bunch of liars cooking the numbers, mm -hmm. uh, giving him rosy reports night after night, and um, and he rusked all of them. Um, and it was it was a it was a tragic, terrible war, and it was as as Lady Bird, as you quote Lady Bird saying, um, this was not our kind of presidency. He was not prepared to be a foreign policy president, and that's what he got lumbered with. And she also said, if we get into a war, it should be over something specific yes. like Pearl Harbor. And I think you could draw from that that she noticed that they did not have that. Yes, that that too was a dubious mm -hmm. act of war. The um, the Tonkin Bay uh, complicated. Yes, yes. So um, when when um, well before we get to 1968, the dramatic year of 1968, um, civil rights. I mean, that was the triumph of the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. Um, that was the triumph. Of the Johnson presidency, and and they assumed Lady Bird and Lyndon that that would be what their, they would their, their legacy, historic yeah. legacy, and, and just the legislation of 1965 would have been enough to make a, a great, great legacy. society. Yes. Well, and there was, I mean, just you know that was Medicare, the Voting yes. Rights Act, the yeah. uh, Highway Beautification, yes. uh, immigration. Did I say immigration? I mean, yes, yes, the, yes. just in a short period of time, it's amazing the legislation that was passed. If they could have bowed out then, it yes, would have been. Yes, really. It's really when you think about it, it's a tragic tale, isn't it? Um, but but she, meanwhile, becomes uh, a, a, a passionate environmentalist. It wasn't called that. It was called. Well, she used the name beautification, which yeah. she hated, but nobody could come up with anything better. But I object to your using the word became because she was from childhood an environmentalist. Because have we said that her mother died when she was five? Yes. She had two older brothers, but they were sent away to boarding school. Uh, and I don't mean just a county away. They were sent so far away that they couldn't even come home from vacations. So she grew up as an only child. And after her mother died, she talked about wandering through her father's fields because he owned thousands of acres. And she had the freedom to explore. And it became, she said, it was my kingdom. It was my life. It was what mattered. And of course, once she got to the White House, she didn't take up a project that first year because she wanted to wait until they were elected to a full term of their own. And then she chose um, beautification. And I would just point out that she's one of the few first ladies who was authentic about that. I mean, it continued to be her yes. interest after she left the White House. Unlike Nancy Reagan. I who, was going to say. <laughs> yes. Who, you know, the whole just say no thing was 
Forgotten one sheep. Yes. Yes. Was, uh, Lady Bird continued to give a highway uh, award. Let's see, it was an award for uh, the person who had done most to improve the, um, the appearance of highways in Texas, I think until 1990 or so. And then she said, I'm just, uh, by then she was beginning to have vision problems and mobility problems, and so she bowed out of that. But if you go to Austin, I mean, now they've oh, named the yeah. Lady Bird Lake. I mean, she's- Oh, it's uh, just full of uh, her imprint. Yes. It's, it's wonderful, and, uh -huh. and you're right to point out that for her that was a lifelong uh, commitment. Um, I, I um, for some bizarre reason, I was I I was spending the day with Lady Bird the day Hillary Clinton went went on the Matt Lau on the um, Today Show and uh, interviewing her for for my for my book. And so we watched that interview together, and it was so interesting. Um, her take on what Hillary was going through. And her was, comment was that the one where they asked her about the woman. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And 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 uh, Lady Bird watching Hillary's um, you know agony, and and this you know terrible public um, uh, uh, scrutiny of her marriage and how our our country was was completely mesmerized by this by this pathetic non-affair in the Oval Office, uh, you know, compared to the Olympic champion, <laughs> LBJ, his affairs. And, and she said to me, you know, we're making, she was, she was very, uh, she was very um, clearly uh, stricken by this. And it was a rather elliptical comment, but she said, we're making a big mistake but, and we're going to narrow the, the um, range of people who will seek this office by making their private lives so, uh, so front and center. And then she said, I want my president to care about all of us and not just about his marriage. So in a way, she was explaining why she had given her husband a pass, because she thought he was a great man and a great leader and a great president. And, and her marriage was her affair. But I just, I, I just thought nice. I'd share that with because it came to me as we were talking about the contrast between uh, her day and, and our day. So then let's, um, before we're, we're, we're going to open it up uh, to your questions, but of course, the dramatic, the most dramatic moment came when, uh, when Lyndon Johnson faced the cameras in 1968 and said that he would not run again. Yes. I will not run, nor shall I accept the nomination of my party to be president. And of course, that of came course. as a huge shock. To many people, but not to Lady Bird. And I would just point out that in Lady Bird's unpublished diary, well, part of it's in the published diary, but it's a fuller account in the unpublished diary, she, in 1964, didn't know whether he should run again. Because remember, he had had that major heart attack in 55. And so we're um, several years away, and he seems OK. But she calls a couple doctors to a kind of retreat out of town. And she says, now tell me, do you think Lyndon should run? And they went through uh, the whole situation. And then she wrote up a kind of nine-page letter to Lyndon saying, these are the reasons you should run. We're talking 1964. And these are the reasons you should not run. And I hope you will run, but not in 1968. 
by then you will have done what you can do. It's time for us to retire. To, it will be time for us to retire to the ranch and enjoy life. And she said, and you should announce it in February or March of 1968. And when did he announce it? March 31st, 1968, you see. But so it was not a surprise yeah. to her. I mean, I, there are many reasons why he chose not to run in 68, of course. Well, he but, lost the support of the country. He could yes. hear from the White House, hey, hey, LBJ, how right. many uh, boys did you kill today? I mean, it was for, that was a devastating for a man who, who, who absolutely uh, needed support of every sort yes. uh, to, have, uh, to have a country that, that no longer trusted him, no longer mm -hmm. um, believed in, in uh, his policies. He, it, it was devastating. And she, she knew how much he enjoyed the political life. I mean, she said it's like a, you know, being tied, being part of a Siamese twin. I mean, it's just, it would be hard to separate Lyndon from politics. She certainly recognized that. And I don't think she was convinced that he would drop out until he actually did. And so let's just briefly, the, the, his tragic post-White House life, which was not long because she thought she was saving him by taking him back to, to Texas. But in fact, for him, there was no life outside the arena, as he, as he called it. And he, he, he basically unraveled. He didn't find, he wasn't interested in things outside politics. Like he grandchildren. Started, no, no. No, he, no he, it was a very bad time. And yeah. uh, she called him, she said he became a holy terror. He was very yeah. difficult to live with, fought with the, I mean, yeah. there are many. Drank a lot. Drank a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was a, a sad, sad, sad end and that he died alone at the end. Is yes, it? and he hated to be alone. People yeah. talk about while he was in the White House, if Lady Bird had to be away, he would get somebody to sleep over in the next yes. room. I think maybe because he was afraid that he would um, die and uh, call yes. out for help, yes. and the help wouldn't be there. And that's exactly what, what came happened. To yes. Yeah, very, very uh, tragic, really. But Lady Bird had 30 plus years of a very rich life, right? Yes, she told Barbara Walters that she had a shelf up there during her married life and things that she really wanted to do, she put up there, like travel. Yes. And she really traveled all over. Yeah. And interesting to me is that she spent several summers renting a house on Martha's Vineyard being friendly with the very type of Eastern liberal yes, that Harvards. Lyndon Johnson hated, you know, the Harvards. <laughs> and, uh, um, and Jackie Kennedy, too. Jackie they, Kennedy. they began to uh, socialize a bit together. But um, uh, I, I find it interesting that, that uh, of the two of them, her legacy seems so assured. She, is, she I think, is uh, her, her place as one of our most beloved First ladies, whereas his is still very right. controversial. She always comes out in the top five of ranking of yes. first ladies, and I think it's well deserved. What maybe is not so much known is what I tried to show in the book, how she was also an important part of his decisions, and they would talk things over much more than we realized, and that we know because of these new papers that have been opened. So. She deserves a lot of credit. Yes, yes. She kept she she kept him steady and together um, on <laughs> behalf of all of us. Um, Betty, I think I think um, there are people who who may have questions uh, for um, for you or either of us. So oh, if you to. could if um, if you could identify yourself and um, I'm Jim Pasinich. I'm a docent here. 
Can you uh, describe the relationship between President Kennedy and Vice President Johnson? <laughs> Do you want to take a stab at that? <laughs> well, it depends on where you start. Um, when the years in the Senate, Lyndon Johnson felt that he had very much aided Jack Kennedy by, by appointing him to committees as, that gave him some stature. So there was that phase. Then, the, of course, the 1960 uh, nominating convention where, um, as we know, uh, John Kennedy asked uh, Lyndon Johnson to run with him. That was a very tortured decision. I mean, there have been books written about that. In the White House, when the vice presidency, I think, for Lyndon Johnson was the worst time of his life. People said, you know, he just went, that's another time he went to pieces because he felt so useless. Well, he felt he wasn't being used to his full capacity and that he was being sent off onto foreign junkets just to get him out of the way. Now, Lady Bird Johnson loved those trips. Being uh, put down in the middle of, she said it's like being in the middle of the National Geographic, you know. She, she just loved those trips. So it was a complicated, um, it, it, over time, it, it changed, I would say. And I, I would just add that I, I think that it was a, um, a humiliating time for Johnson, that uh, Kennedy really didn't treat him with great respect. It was a political, it was well, strictly no. a political calculation putting him on the, on the ticket. Well, maybe, people have told me that, in, that John Kennedy rarely said something negative about Lyndon Johnson. There was, yeah. there was a kind of respect in front of other yes. people. Now I've heard things that he might have said behind his back, yeah. but it was the other Kennedys. It was, it was the, the entourage that, that uh, treated him with, yes. with less, that was a, less um, than respect. Yes. I think that, I think that 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 was really the seed of the um, of the bad blood between the Johnson and Kennedy, camps. and that goes all the way back to the fifties and Bobby Kennedy's. Uh, yes, role well, that's that. a whole other toxic right. uh, relationship between Bobby and and Lyndon. They they uh, no love lost there, but um, the 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 White House changes every marriage. How 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 do you see? Um, the Johnsons' marriage being changed, or, or do you think they? Well, the, many their marriage wasn't other changed. Other presidents' families have said that they never felt closer than when right. they were in the White House because the the father was home for dinner where, when he <laughs> wasn't before. But I don't think that was true. Of, I mean, the Johnson daughters really objected to the whole White House scene, and. You can read the diaries what time they had dinner, and they never had dinner as a family. I mean, maybe once a year or so. I mean, it just never happened because yeah. he would come home at 9.30 or 10 and bring an, a staff person with him. Or um, So somebody said they needed some, uh, I guess it was one of the White House photographers, said he'd like to get some cozy pictures of the Johnson family <laughs> eating together. And everybody snickered because they were sure they would never get a picture like that. So I don't think for the Johnson family it was a, a together time at all. But you for know, the marriage, do you think for the that marriage, because, because the, the presidency often elevates the role of, of the wife because suddenly he, he has to be nice to her. Uh, <laughs> and, I don't recall her ever saying that the White House years were the best of her marriage or the best of her yeah. life. Because Jackie said that. Jackie, because yes, they were done. Yes. And the Fords, I think. Betty Ford said, finally, most, I get that. Most definitely, yeah. Betty Ford came into her own. In, in and also, way. she said the White House years made the marriage stronger. And so, yeah. Yeah. But I don't think Lady Bird, yeah. I don't recall her ever saying that. Yeah. So, uh, yes, ma'am. 
Um, this is really a question. First of all, thank you for the presentation. Very good, and for the books. I've read them. This is a question of curiosity, not really academic. When I read about her, and some of the books list more of her maternal side, just a question on curiosity. <laughs> is she Hispanic? Because the names seem Hispanic. Lady Burjunk? Yes. Was she Tex Cla Claudia, Al Claudia Alta Taylor was and her. And there's mother. another name. Uh, is it Patillo? Patillo was her Patillo. mother's oh, name. It's yeah. Scottish. With a it's double a, L-O. The Scottish form is Patalok or something. Uh, but she's Scottish back then. So she had no. I thought perhaps yeah. because of Texas, she yes. might be part it, Mexican. Yeah, it could easily Their have backgrounds been. were quite similar. Scotch, English, Scottish, English backgrounds. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You have a question? Hi, thank you for the talk. It's been very informative. Um, my question is around uh, Lady Bird and whether she received any abuse from um, President Johnson and the things that I've read. Physical I've, abuse? Yeah, and the things that I've there, read. Because there are many forms of abuse. Right, yeah, physical, mental, or otherwise. Um, I guess aside from maybe the extramarital affairs, which you've um, discussed already. but Well, there are uh, many examples of verbal abuse, and that's yes. what shocked people. I mean, he would tell her in front of other people, go change your stockings, you've got to run, or why can't you wear a pretty dress like your friend, and why do you do your hair like that? It looks, I mean, he was awful to her. Um, but, so, but physical abuse. I, I, no, no, I've never heard that it was, it was physical. But she talked back to him, you know, that I think it's Bob Carroll who tells that story about when the, uh, Lyndon was first courting Lady Bird, uh, he took her someplace and, and she, he, in front of other people, he said, you know, get up and change your stockings right now. And she didn't leave immediately. And he said, I mean right now. And she got up and, and did it. But I interviewed a woman who was with the Johnsons at the ranch one Sunday morning, and she said they were a little late to church, and they were going through the kitchen, and Lyndon looked at Lady Bird, and he said, Bird, you've got to run in your stocking. And she said, too late now, Lyndon, and she kept walking. <laughs> so you see, there was yeah. the other side. Those stories about, um, yeah. he, he, he could be, he was physical. he was, uh, in language, very abusive to staff. I mean, he would Terrible. make fun of people who limped or were overweight or drank too much or... Always uh, telling the women to comb their hair. Oh, well, you put some yeah. lipstick on yeah. now, he would say, you know. Yeah. He was a miserable human being. But not, not physical uh, abuse, but... You know what Sylvia Porter said about him? He's a crude and cruel man, but he will make a great president. And I tried that out on some people who worked for him, and they said he could be crude and cruel, but he could also be the most generous, kind, thoughtful mm -hmm. person you ever met. For example, he would realize it was somebody's birthday, and right on the spot they would have a party. Or he would arrange for the aged parent of a staff member who had never been in an airplane to go up for the first ride. And Lady Bird loved that about him, because she wasn't that generous. She was a thoughtful person, but she wasn't that spontaneous. No. I mean, she wasn't going to, and she many times would say, when Lyndon's like that, I just love him. <laughs> yes, sir. Hi, yes. My name is Kevin Burke, and I want to thank you for the talk. Um, in the modern era, there have been f a few first ladies who found themselves widows very shortly after leaving the White House or while they were in the White House, and in the case of Nancy Reagan, in a certain way because of the Alzheimer's of her husband, how would you assess Lady Bird compared to, say, Eleanor Roosevelt, Jackie Kennedy, uh, Nancy Reagan, 
who faced this dilemma early on after the presidency or while it was going on and how they, in a sense, embodied for the country the presidency in the absence of their their husband and how they became, in a sense, mm-hmm. very much a driver of the legacy of that administration in that absence. Well, you, you picked out some uh, very different uh, examples there. Eleanor Roosevelt had 17 years after leaving the White House. And as we know, she became first lady of the world. I mean, she really got into the United Nations and and was very uh, influential. Jackie Kennedy, on the other hand, was a very young woman with two young children. And we we followed her her attempt to get into publishing, to to marry again. Um, It is true, I know, I think we all agree that we look to them as somehow examples for the rest of us. Uh, in how they lived those last years. The other person you mentioned, Nancy Reagan, has been pretty much a recluse, hasn't she? Um, she comes to, I have some pictures of her in the book, you know, when the first ladies all get together, sometimes she would do that. But she's pretty much bowed out. So you've picked some very different examples there, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, Jackie Kennedy, and and Nancy Reagan. Lady Bird, uh, I think probably had long, well, yeah, I have to figure that out. Um, Jackie Kennedy died in 94, and she left, so she had 30 years. But Lady Bird had longer, right? Yes. As she ex- had, Lady Bird had 34 years. Right, so, uh, and, and, she, and she did more with it, I think. Yeah. You know, she, she often w- came back to Washington for... She did, and the Wildflower Center, yes. yeah. and what she did for uh, Austin yeah. and for Texas. So maybe second to Eleanor, she was the most engaged publicly. But, uh, I mean, all, Texas always was her base, but yes. but there's no comparison to Eleanor, who, as you said, Betty, yeah. was the first lady of the world and, and had a had a whole other life after after uh-huh. uh, FDR. So she was she was the gold standard post presidency first lady. Um, uh, except, well, Hillary Clinton's saga <laughs> is unfolding as we yeah. speak. So. <laughs> So um, Hillary Clinton has broken every rule of, uh, of, of, of politics. So we, we, we'll, we'll come back and have a hopefully a session about that sometime. So um, I, I uh, thank you very much for, for your attention. And thank you, Betty. And, um, and I, I guess we have, we have books. We have, uh, books we have books for, for signing. Um, please join the ladies for a first ladies book signing in on the Central Park West Side. And thank you all so much. <clears throat> excuse me for coming tonight. Thank you so much.